Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Cicero. The names of these men and others like them and the stories of their accomplishments endure today because of what they created for Rome. But before Caesar and Mark Antony and everybody else, there was another figure who was synonymous with Rome itself. He built the city and became interwoven into the fabric of Roman society. Without him, there is no Rome. Welcome to another episode of Kai Sai Book Club. I'm your host, Jackson Sharman. Instead of a book, a movie, or album, I'll be doing something a little different. Today, I'll be examining Romulus, the founder of Rome. And more than that, I'm going to look at how the story of Romulus influenced Romans and shaped the ancient society in the centuries after the founding of the city. When I started tackling this subject, I initially only focused on how the story of Romulus influenced Rome's military and political leaders. But as I got deeper into research, I realized I would need to expand the scope of my question to adequately convey to you, my dear listeners, how widely Romulus's enduring influence pervaded Roman society. Now, a little bit about Romulus himself. So most historians agree that Romulus wasn't actually real and is a myth. But his life story is so detailed, most Romans would have thought he was real. Romulus along with his twin brother Remus, was raised by a she-wolf named Lupa, as the story goes, before growing up, setting off on their own and settling in the place where Rome would begin. Now, we also know that Romulus killed his brother before going on to finish establishing Rome. We also know that a lot happened from the time they were born and starting to build the city, but I want to focus on the presence of Romulus in later times. So a little bit about myths in general. Historical accounts in later centuries in Rome were a mix of Roman traditions and Greek myths. According to Gary Forsyth in his book, A Critical History of Early Rome, From Prehistory to the First Punic War, even the story of Romulus and Remus is, quote, a Roman version of a popular ancient legend told in reference to numerous figures of the Near East and Greek, end quote. By the time Romans in the centuries after the founding heard the story of Romulus, the myth was probably different than how it was originally told. This was due in part to the stories mixing together, but also because of the people telling the stories. In his book, Culture and National Identity in Republican Rome, Eric Grun writes that, quote, Roman writers could be quite cavalier about the particulars of their nation's origins, end quote, and would sometimes change and exaggerate details of stories. There are different stories as to the reason Romulus killed Remus, for instance. Wiseman states that the different versions were the result of Roman writers and clerics trying to provide some explanation for why things were done, using the different versions as a foundation for their explanations. Romulus killed Remus this way because Remus did this thing and this means this. There are also differing accounts as to where Romulus was when the rape of the Sabine women occurred, which serves as another founding story for Rome. Forsyth notes that the evolution in differing accounts of Romulus' story, as Romans would have understood it, began as early as the 5th century BC and was completed by the close of the 3rd century BC. Whenever or however the story of Romulus came about, his importance in the fabric of Roman society cannot be overstated. 
Much like America's founding fathers were instrumental in creating many of our country's institutions, Romulus is credited for creating many important Roman bodies. According to Plutarch's Life of Romulus, Rome's founder organized the military units and the Senate. Plutarch wrote that when the city was built in the first place, Romulus divided all the multitude that were of age to bear arms into military companies, each company consisting of 3,000 footmen and 300 horsemen. In the second place, he treated the remainder as a people, and this multitude was called populace. A hundred of them, who were the most eminent, he appointed to be counselors, calling the individuals themselves patricians and the body a senate. Additionally, Romulus led his newly organized armies into neighboring territories to conquer them, and thus expand Rome and start the tradition of the Roman Empire even before empire even came into the vocabulary of the Roman world. Forsyth writes that the mythical Romulus did these things, according to Rome's historians, remember, mostly because these were the actions expected of the founder of an ancient city and the son of the god Mars. But to be fair, if my dad was a war god, I would also probably feel pressure to perform. Whether or not Romulus did do these things to aid in creating the Roman political system, Romans would have believed he did. The most consequential Romans who believed these things were Rome's political leaders, and they used Romulus and his violence as justification for their own conquest. Forsyth writes that in some versions, Romulus is portrayed as having killed his brother with his own hand, but in other authors, Remus is killed amid a general brawl between the supporters of the twins. Why have the city's beginnings coincide with such a dreadful deed? During the last two centuries BC, as Rome conquered and consolidated its control over the Hellenistic world, this element in Rome's foundation tale served as convenient propaganda for Rome's enemies, who portrayed Rome as sanguinary and ruthless. Forsyth also writes that the battles were reflective of Rome's founding. Quote, Another aspect of the Battle of Sentinum pertains to Roman religion. Another historian, T.P. Wiseman, has plausibly argued that the myth of the twins Romulus and Remus first came into being during the late 4th century BC, and that in several important respects reflects the political, religious, and military circumstances of the Samnite Wars. He, T.P. Wiseman, explains the oddity of Rome's having two founders as reflecting the division of the consulship between plebeians and patricians, end quote. Aside from just knowing about Romulus, it was a sign of prestige if you had a more personal connection to him. Genealogies were exceedingly important in ancient Rome. Emma Dench writes in her book Romulus's Asylum that mythological genealogies were the broad, common, quote, language of ethnic identity in the ancient Mediterranean world. Notions of shared origins and of descent from gods and heroes delineated human groups of all kinds, including families, clans, tribes, and urban communities. The Julian-Claudian family, one of Rome's most prominent and politically powerful families, trace Augustus's lineage back to both Aeneas and Romulus. This was due in large part to play up the prestigious lineage that Augustus had and had given him more legitimacy to be ruler. The writers of Rome 
helped create these historically dubious ancestries. Virgil writes in the Aeneid that Romulus is the ancestor of Julius Caesar and later Augustus. It's likely not a coincidence that Augustus was Virgil's patron. Definitely no conflict of interest there. Paul Crystal, the author of War and Roman Myths and Legends, writes that Augustus wanted this blue blood lineage to remind them of their glorious rather than calamitous past to inject patriotism in old style Roman values. What better way than to hire the best poet, Virgil, of the day and have him link him, Augustus, directly with heroic Aeneas and warlike Romulus and show the world how he would deliver a new golden age built on protracted peace, high culture, civilization, and Romanatus. While the founding myth may have been especially important to the Roman elites because they wanted to trace their genealogies back to it, all Romans knew about it. Virgil's Aeneid, writes Dench, a work with an intense and far from straightforward interest in the ethnic, cultural, and moral identity of Rome, traveled far beyond the literary salon. In addition to reading and hearing the stories, they would have seen Romulus, or, well, a recreation of him. A statue of Romulus and Remus with their she-wolf mother, Lupa, was put up at the site of Ficus Ruminalis, a wild fig tree with religious and mythological significance in ancient Rome, where everybody would have seen it. The biggest takeaway I've had from this project, this research, was just how extensive the figure of Romulus was. He was everywhere in Rome, from people's family tree, to civic leader, to military inspiration. People looked to him as a god who created Rome, their city. We really have no comparable figure in our society. The closest thing Americans probably have is how we learn about figures like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin when we are young and teachers kind of portraying the founding fathers as almost mythical figures in their quests for independence. The academic sources I used in my research were indispensable. I mentioned some of them throughout the podcast, but here's the full list. Romulus's Asylum, Roman Identities from the Age of Alexander to the Age of Hadrian by Emma Dench. Culture and National Identity in Republican Rome by Eric Eskrun. Plutarch's Lives in six volumes. I looked at The Life of Romulus by, by Plutarch. A Critical History of Early Rome from Prehistory to the First Punic War by Gary Forsyth. War and Roman Myth and Legend by Paul Crystal. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed learning about Romulus. Thank you.